Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking uh, tonight at this famous passage uh, in verses 1 through 7. I do want to wish you a Merry Christmas. It's great uh, to have you with us tonight. I know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this evening. You could be thawing out your pipes if they've been frozen. You could be over at the Schultz Brow hanging out with Krampus. Uh, You could be on a sleigh ride through the swirly twirly gumdrops and through the candy cane forest and off to your grandmother's house you could be going. But you're not doing any of those things. You're here with us tonight and I really wanna thank you. It's great to have you with us. Uh, You know, during Advent here at Redeemer, one of the things we've been talking about is that glorious song of old. And I think what we've seen week after week after week is that that song is really a person. That the song is Jesus. Jesus is that glorious song of heaven. He is that old, old song that we love to tell over and over again. That story of of a God who would come to earth. A God who would come and become a man. A God who would come and dwell with us and live with us in order to deliver us from sin and from death and from suffering in this world. A God who would be kind to love us in this way. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to reflect upon the story of his birth and I want us to consider the historical pattern of Christmas, all right, the historical pattern of Christmas. So with that in mind, would you look with me at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David." to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are a God not hidden, not silent, but a God who loves to make himself known, a God who loves his people, and a God who wants his people to know the great love that he has for them. It's our prayer tonight that as we attend unto you, you would be kind to attend unto us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. 
I, I would assume most of you have heard this passage before. Maybe you've read it in your own Bible. Maybe you have heard it read at a service like this in the past. Maybe you were at your child's nativity play at preschool and you're still a little bit mad because your son had to play Joseph and you knew, you just knew that he had the talent to really be the donkey that year. And regardless of where you've heard this story before, uh, it's a famous story. And it's famous for a reason. It's famous because it sets the stage for what God uh, has done and is doing and will do in order to put an end to real sin and real death and real suffering and real evil in this world. Now, that's a lot to put on this passage. It's a lot to sort of think about. But what I want us to do as we think about this passage is I want us to reflect for just a few minutes upon this historical pattern of Christmas, right? God's historical pattern of Christmas. And so as we celebrate Christmas, I want you to remember that Christmas really is a historical fact, that Christmas isn't just a spirit, that Christmas isn't just a feeling or an idea or a genre or an aesthetic. Christmas is something that has actually happened that God has really come into the world in a real place at a real time. And I think that this is really important, especially for us as Americans, because as Americans, we kind of love Christmas. Uh, we love Rockefeller Center. We love the tree. We love Mariah Carey, the queen of Christmas. We, or even if she can't get the trademark, we love her uh, for trying, uh, right? We love the lights. We love the mistletoe. We love Elf. We love that even economically that Christmas helps retailers move from the red to the black. And every year as Christmas is coming, we, we hope that maybe this season can stir up within us, within our hearts, that we might become nicer, kinder, better people, that maybe once again we could fall in love under the mistletoe and gain a sense of belonging and purpose and meaning in our communities. And, and maybe, just maybe, we could lay aside trivial disagreements and we could get along with one another. And maybe tomorrow morning when we wake up, we'll go downstairs and our children will be sitting around the breakfast table drinking something better than Folgers uh, because we know that Folgers is not uh, the best part of waking up, right? There are other things that are better. And, and, and longings for these things aren't bad. They're actually good things. They're beautiful things. They really are the longings and the hopes and the promises of Christmas, but they're just the gifts, they're not the true song. They're the gifts, they're not the true song. And sadly, I think that in our social imagination, Christmas has sort of become a sweet myth or a sweet legend that symbolizes sweet things. That it doesn't really matter if it happened. All that matters is that the myth or the legend would warm our cold hearts on a cold night like tonight. Or all that matters is that, that we would have something in our lives that would make us feel things. But that's not the way this story begins. The story doesn't begin like a myth. It doesn't begin like a legend. It doesn't start off once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. Instead, notice how it begins in verse 1. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor in Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, do you see what Luke is doing here? He's, he's rooting God's work in history around 4, 6 B.C. He's rooting it in space and in time and with people and places and events that the original audience, the eyewitnesses, would have been familiar with. And history, too, is familiar with. And this is really important because Christmas does stir up our hearts. Christmas does want to make us better people. But Christmas stirs up our hearts precisely because it did happen. Not because it's a sweet idea. But it stirs us up because God has done something. And, and why would it matter? Why does it actually matter if this thing really happened? Well, it matters because Christianity actually claims to be true. It actually claims to be true. And unlike other religions, Christianity isn't just interested in inspiring us or enlightening us. It's not really interested in helping us kind of rise up and overcome the sorrows of our world and make us better people. What Christianity is interested in is the God who really came into the world to save us from real sorrows, from the real pains of this world. You see, at Christmas, we celebrate a God who does what legends cannot do. At Christmas, we celebrate a God who can do what our learning cannot do, what technology cannot do, what our laws cannot do. He came to do what you and I cannot do. God actually came to really save us. Right? Christmas is not about human potential or human enlightenment. It is about God really entering into real history in order to really save his people from real sin, from real oppression, from real injustice, from real sorrow, from real judgment, and from real death. And this is why Christians sing at Christmas because God has done something for us. Because God is kind to come to us. God is kind to enter into time and space and really save us. And he did it at a particular point in history. As the Apostle Paul says, he did it when the fullness of time had come. Or later on he goes on and says, he did it at just the right time. Well, what was the right time? It's verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. In those days, right? In those days when the world enjoyed the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, or maybe the thumb of Rome. In those days when Caesar Augustus could issue a royal decree and no matter where you were and no matter what was going on in your life, you would have to get up and you would have to travel to your hometown so that they could write your name down in a book so that they could tax you. 
in those days when you were not, when, when your value was in your ability to be taxed. When you were, you were valuable as a person because of the things that you could do. When you were valuable as a person because of the benefit that you would bring to the powerful. It's in those days when human beings were commodities for the powerful rather than communities of human beings. God came at just the right time in the fullness of time. And why did he come? To make us his very own children. Not to make us children of Rome, but to make us children of the living God. And he came not to write our names down in a tax ledger so that we could be sold off as an algorithm. He came to write his children's name in the book of life. Now some of you might say, well, if God really came into the world to really deal with sin and to really deal with our problems, then why is there still real sin and real death in the world? I mean, if Christmas has really happened, then why is there still so much real darkness out there? That's a great question. The answer would be history. The answer a Christian would give is history. That What we believe is that God has come and that God will come again. As one theologian has said, Christmas was God's first coming, and at his first coming, he came not to bring judgment, but to bear it. The, the way John the Apostle said it is the way Ben talked about it earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus came into the world to save it. His first coming was to save us from the evil that is out there and the evil that is within us. And if Jesus would have just come to put an end to all of the evil in his first coming, then we all would have been destroyed. We all would have been dealt with in that moment. And there would be none of us. Because the truth of the matter is, we have all hidden the light in the darkness. The truth of the matter is that we have all perverted the good for our own gain. The truth of the matter is that we've all ignored or bent or evaded the truth. The truth of the matter is that our hearts have all dreamt of and thought of horrible, terrible, embarrassing things. And our hands and our feet and our tongues continually betray the high view that we have of ourselves. But here's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came the first time to save us from our darkness, to bear the darkness, so that when he comes again, as Tim Keller says, he can put an end to evil without putting an end to us. You see, Jesus has come, he really came, so that we might really become like him. Jesus has really come into the world. He really became sin for us so that we really might become the righteousness of God. Jesus really came into the world uh, and was declared guilty on our behalf so that we really might be declared innocent before God. 
Jesus really entered into the world to die the death that we deserve so that we might really live the life that he has earned. Jesus was really cast aside so that we might really be welcomed in. Right? This is why the history of Christianity actually really matters. This is why the history of Christmas matters. God has really done something. And he's really done something for us. And I want you to notice then the pattern of God's work. If you look in verses 1 through 4, what we see is this king, this creator of the universe, willingly subjecting himself to the powers of this world. If you look at verses 5 through 7, we see the author and the giver of life is born of a woman. And he's born not in a palace, not in a hospital, but in this stable. And he's placed in a feeding trough for animals. And as he enters into this world, verse 7, the world has no room for him. And what I want you to notice is that God, Jesus, enters into this world that doesn't see him, that doesn't welcome him, that doesn't recognize him. He's born into a world that has forgotten the things of heaven, who doesn't have an eye for it, who doesn't have a heart for it, but he enters in anyway. It's what the apostle John said as well. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But the beauty of the gospel, the kindness of God, is that he still came. That he was still willing to come to us. Because he wanted the light of heaven to shine into the darkness. He wanted earth to be filled with the beauty of heaven. He wanted to make himself known to a people who had forgotten him and rejected him. He came, he really came into the world in order to draw us back to himself and back to the ways of his kingdom. And so what I want you to see is that we have a God who is humble and a God who loves us. Look at this humble pattern. Not coming into the world as a general or a king or a philosopher or a president or a warrior, but coming into this world as a child, vulnerable. This is amazing. Because the one who is high and lifted up is the one who stoops down, taking on flesh and blood, becoming one of us in order to serve us. And that's the pattern of Christmas. That rather than asserting his heavenly power, God would willingly submit himself to the powers of the world. That, that he would be placed in a wooden feed trough. And as you follow his life, he then dies on a wooden cross. That he would come into the world and be rejected by the innkeeper. There's no room for you. And at the end of his life, he's rejected by all of humanity. That, that he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And at the end of his life, he's stripped naked and covered in burial cloths. Right? This is the way of our God. It is the way of the kingdom of heaven. That God would become one of us so that we might become like him. 
He died so that we might live. He was rejected so that we might be welcomed. And that is the pattern of our king. And that is why in the next part of Luke chapter 2, as soon as he's born, the angels burst forth in song. When we do not recognize him, the heavens burst forth and they say glory to God in the highest. What God would do this? Look at how amazing he is. Look at how kind he is. Look at how faithful and generous he is to his people. That is our God, glory to God in the highest. And that is the pattern of Christmas. It is the glorious way that this humble child would come into the world and he would grow up and at the end of his days, he would call the entire world to come and follow him. Following him into his upside down kingdom where the first are last, where the meek inherit the earth, where the poor become rich, where the hungry are fed, where if you want to live, you must die, where the servant becomes the master, and where those who are rejected are welcomed. That's what Christmas is. That's the historical pattern of our God. And that's what his table is all about. His table is the table of the humble king who really entered into the world, who really lived the life we should have lived, who really died the death that we deserve. And here he is spread before us on his table, the gift of Christmas our God given to us, his body for you, his blood shed for you. That is the glorious song of old. That is the beautiful gift of Christmas. And he invites you to come and to receive him. <laughs> <laughs>